Welcome to the New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Join us as we dive into this series on Advent, focusing on the impact of Christ's birth and rediscovering the wonder of His salvation. We'll learn together the power of the hope, peace, joy, and love we find in Him. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged. Hey, everybody. Long time no preach. You have been missed like crazy by other people. Not me. But hey, for those who don't know me, was cracking. My name is Richard. I have the privilege of calling this place my home as your lead pastor. Um, I have to address some pretty pressing issues before we start this sermon. Today is Ugly Christmas Sweater Sunday, and some of y'all yahoos decided to put my face on your shirts. Just know you're dumb. And God doesn't like that, okay? That is the cutest shirts ever. But seriously, I love those. Those are awesome. Christian found a way to find not only like my second or third grade picture where I have glasses so thick I can look on the map and see people waving, but I can also, she also has my senior picture up there where they did a bunch of Photoshop to get rid of my acne that I have. So uh, Christian, well done. And I'm sure my wife helped you with that. And so that will be a discussion for me and her later on. Um, Y'all, how about we go and get this party started? So glad that y'all are here. Um, I'm assuming somebody's going to um, do the winners after after service. Okay, cool. All right. So uh, I haven't even given a joke in the longest. Um, Ooh. I think it's about time for it. Now, I ain't going to do a joke, but I will give a story, crazy story. I was in uh, Walmart. Y'all know how Walmart is dead gum crazy. And uh, I was in the cookie aisle in Walmart. And again, it's, it's crazy and everybody's bumping into one another. And I'm, I'm not a huge guy, but I'm a fairly big guy. And so when somebody bumps into me, like I automatically take you know, take responsibility. And I apologize, right? No matter if I did it or not. Well, somebody bumped it, somebody bumped in me and I'm like, oh, sorry about that. And the guy thought I was being sarcastic, big old redhead guy. And he thought that I was being sarcastic. Uh, and he goes, dude, you know, you don't have to be a jerk about it. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, dude, uh, I'm like, we bumped into each other. I'm assuming fault. Like, chill out. And he got really mad when I told him to chill out. And I mean, y'all, that ginger snapped. It was crazy. Oh! Mm. It went over your head, didn't it, Kirsten? Yeah, it did. It did. Okay. Ginger. A ginger is a redhead. They snapped. They did good. Ginger snap is in the cookie. Cookie out. Don't worry about it. Talk to your dad. Y'all, so let's pray. Let's get this show started. Let's preach. I'm excited. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here. God, we pray that you will soften up our hearts so that we may hear your word, apply it, reteach it. Father, um, making disciples, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this Advent season. Father, we celebrate your arrival, Father. Um, not only do we celebrate like the first Christmas, uh, the birth of the Messiah, Father, but we celebrate that one day you're going to come and get us. You're going to remove us from all of this, Father. But in the meantime, you've given us the strength and the grind, Father, and the family to push, Father, um, to advance your kingdom, Father. We have so much work um, to do until you come, Father, but we do it with a joyful heart, God. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody say it. 
Amen. Everybody, when Heidi and I, we were, when we were expecting our first child, we actually only felt like children ourselves. I mean, like, like, you know, whenever you, you're your first child, you parents, you get it. Whenever that first child, you know, is coming, you're like, okay, what on earth did I just do? What did we just do? Like we decided to create people and then become their leader. If you think about it on paper, it is absolutely nuts. And, and, and so Heidi and I, whenever we decided to have a child, y'all, we were so full of fear and we were so full of worry, but we also have had twinges of excitement. But with all of that stuff, we asked the big question to as many of our parent families as we could. We were like, yo, what's it like to have children? What's it like? Now, Heidi and I, we come from a very diverse group of friends, very diverse. Like uh, we, we asked white couples, black couples, Hispanic couples, interracial couples, single moms, single dads, empty nesters, grandparents, foster parents, new parents, old parents. We asked everybody, very diverse group. And despite how diverse the group was, we found that their answer was incredibly similar. Dang, they're exactly the same. And this is the description that they gave us. Like, hey, yo, what's it like to have kids? And then they gave us the description. Oh, what's it like to have kids? It's, it's definitely the most difficult thing that you would ever do. Definitely most difficult thing you ever do. And then they began to give a running list of why it was so difficult. You're always tired. The kids cry in the middle of the night. Diapers are expensive. They get all fussy. They're clingy. When they get older, they get sassy. They talk back. The boys will break everything in the house. The girls will cry about everything in the house. They fight with one another. They fight with you. I mean, the list went on and on and on for miles. But after the long description of why having children is so difficult, they will always cap it out with, but you're going to love it. Kids bring you so much joy. Joy. Okay. All right. Now, the younger Richard and Heidi, we didn't quite understand that. Like, how on earth can there be so much joy in so much chaos? doesn't make sense. And their description of parenthood just didn't make sense at all. But when we had kids of our own, we quickly found out that everyone was exactly right. Their descriptions were spot on. Spot on. Then, then here come, here came Maggie. And then here came all the pandemonium centering around Maggie. Yo, being a parent, it was and still is the most difficult thing that I've ever done, except getting over missing the big fish, right? Like the second most difficult thing I've ever done is being a parent, right? Third, probably childbirth, right? Joking, ladies, joking, joking. Yeah, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Emails are coming. Now, y'all, but seriously, being a parent is literally the most difficult thing that we've ever done. We're always tired. They do cry in the middle of the night like crazy and throughout the day, too. Diapers were and are really expensive. They do get fussy. They do talk back. They do argue about everything. And oddly enough, 
oddly enough, we find joy in having our kids. As a matter of fact, we tripled down and had three. With all of the craziness, we're like, yeah, let's have another one and let's have another one. And not even joking, if Heidi came to me right now and she goes, Richard, I'm pregnant, I would shout for joy. As a matter of fact, I've been trying to convince her it ain't happening. I'm just going to have to seduce the girl and just have a baby. Um, and yes, the pastor just said that. And yo, just think about this, y'all. Like, based off of everybody's description of parenthood, why on earth will we have children in the first place? It's crazy. It's crazy. How can there be so much joy in the middle of so much chaos? And parents and parent figures, like, like you know the answer. We find, y'all hear this, we find abundance amount of joy in abundance amounts of chaos because the joy of the child is far greater than the chaos that surrounds the child. Far greater. The joy of what's to come during pregnancy and the joy of what's here after birth is so potent that it overpowers the difficult circumstance every single time. It just does. Now, y'all hear me. Now, this is big. The joy that you experience doesn't remove the hardships. The hardships are very much present. Like there's no getting around, no getting away from all of the hardships that you experience as parents. They're there. It's just something that you gotta, just gotta understand, you gotta deal with. But it's just that you experience that joy because you're so in tune, you're so infatuated with the gift that you receive that everything else fails to comparison. You see, church, it's all about your focus. Your focus is what determines your joy. It's your focus. Again, your focus determines your joy. And if you have your Bibles, y'all, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. All right, we're going to start at verse 3. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he said this. Again, Romans chapter 5, verses uh, uh, 3 through 5. He says this. He starts off, but we rejoice in our sufferings. But we rejoice. He says, not only that, like we we'll, we'll dive into, he says, not only that. Beautiful things prior to that verse. But he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Y'all hear this. You see, whenever you're full of joy, you rejoice. Choosing to have joy despite your circumstances is so powerful that your body follows suit no matter how difficult the situation might be. You rejoice because you're full of joy. Now again, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Verse four, and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul told them to rejoice in the middle of their suffering. That is a humongous challenge that Paul will give to these Christians. Humongous challenge. Why? Consider everything that was happening when Paul wrote these words. Consider who he was writing it to. 
Christians were literally being hunted down and killed because they pledged their allegiance to Jesus. Hunted down and killed. They were fleeing persecution and they were scattered all across the world. They were imprisoned. They were flogged. They were exiled. They were brutally murdered. And during all of this, Paul had the nerve to challenge these Christians to rejoice. Rejoice. Just imagine you're going through the most difficult time in your life, whether it may be death, whether it may be sickness, uh, divorce, whatever. And you come to me and you're pleading or you're, 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 you're telling me all of the stuff that you're experiencing. And I'm like, you need to rejoice. What would you do to me? We don't want to hear to rejoice whenever we're in the middle of our pain. We don't want to hear that. Rejoicing is out the window, right? This was the worst moment of their lives. And Paul said, rejoice. You know how difficult that is. And to rejoice, do you know how much joy that you have to have? You know how much focus that requires to be full of joy and rejoicing while running for your life? But church, these early Christians did it. They did it. They rejoiced in all of that mess. They rejoiced in their pain. They rejoiced in their suffering. They rejoiced while they were fleeing persecution. Shoot, we read some of them rejoiced while they were being killed. Killed. They were rejoicing. How did they have so much joy and so much chaos, men and women? Paul tells us how in verse 5. They were joyful in chaos because he said this. Now, remember verse 5. He says, hope does not put us to shame because, why? Because God's love is poured into our hearts. When you read that, you can kind of skip over it. God's love has been poured into our hearts. But let's break that down. This is some good stuff. Now, in, in, in Ryan, not Ryan's, in, in, in uh, Matt's last sermon, he pointed us to, what was it, First John 4, when we talk about love? I, like, according to First John 4, says that God is love. So again, God's love has been poured into our hearts, and God is love. So that means God himself has been poured into our hearts. God, like God, it, it seems like the word God, the name, forgive me, the name God has lost so much potency. It's lost, it's like we think about it, it's like, has it lost its power? Do you read these words? God's love has been poured into our hearts, which means God is literally in our hearts. He chooses to tabernacle inside of us. God himself, the author of the universe. The reason why we sing, the reason why we decorate, the reason why I preach, the reason why we forgive, the reason why we're nice to one another, the reason why we forgive one another, the reason why we won't allow hardships to crush us, the reason why we keep grinding, we keep pushing, we do Bible studies, we raise our children, the reason why we 
radically love, serve, and encourage, it's because of God and he lives inside of us. Wow! Whoa! I, God, forgive me. Father, forgive me of forgetting that or not acknowledging that enough. God himself lives inside of me. How did they have so much joy and so much chaos? Because they focused on the fact that God was with them and his mere presence was more than enough to produce vast amounts of joy. Despite all of their pains, all of their heartaches, all of their struggles, everything, God was with them and they knew that. They knew that. So what does all of this have to do with Advent? Everybody, I want you to consider everything surrounding the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. God's chosen people, the Israelites, have been captive, held captive for hundreds of years. Hundreds. In fact, most of the Bible, Old and New Testament, we see God's people as captives. I mean, you read it throughout the entire Bible. They were first enslaved by the Egyptians, then the Assyrians, then the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks, and now the Romans. They see, it seemed like all they knew was captivity. It's a bad situation to be in if you were an Israelite man or woman. And not only that, but during their times of religious freedom, they dis disobeyed God, only landing them back into more oppression and more captivity. Church, can you imagine a generation, generation after generation knowing nothing but oppression and capt captivity? Generation after generation, my people are slaves, my people are held captive, my people are oppressed. I mean, over and over and over again, all of these hardships had the potential to completely crush their spirits, completely crush it. It had the potential to kill all of their hope. But God understood that. <coughs> God understands and understood and understands what hardships, what captivity, what, what all of that stuff could do to your hope. He understood that. So God sent prophets. God sent prophets to remind them of what they need to do, what they need to focus on. God sent them people to, 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 to remind the, God sent them prophets to remind the people, oh, you will not experience this oppression forever. You won't. One of these Old Testament prophets is Isaiah. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Oh, wait a minute. Think about this. These people, they looked at the prophets. Like, you know, they had prophets. And they had kings. They had all of this stuff, which is cool. But the prophet said, no, 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 no. Not a prophet, not a king, but the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
And he says, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's with us. And imagine you're, you're, you're an Israelite man or woman and you're hearing that. And you're like, wait a minute. You're not going to send us a king. You're not going to send us a military ruler. You're not going to send us a prophet, but God himself is going to remove me from all this. God himself is coming. Oh, my goodness. Huge. Huge. And they will hear that like, okay, then if God's coming, then let's get it. All right, then that that gives me enough grind to keep on pushing. I hear you, Isaiah. And then Isaiah said, and probably the most famous prophecy found in scripture in Isaiah 6, 9, 9, 6. And we read it all of the time during Christmas season. For to us, a child is born. To us, the son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder. He would bear all of that. He himself would do it. And his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Everybody, these words gave the people hope. And when they were full of hope, they weren't hopeless, but when they were full of hope, you know what they did? They rejoiced. They rejoiced. Somebody is coming to set us free. Oh, party. It's time to rejoice. You know what I enjoy more than Christmas Day itself? Is the 24th and the 23rd and the 22nd and the 21st and the 20th. It's the Christmas season. I enjoy that more than Christmas Day. It's the preparation. It's the grind. Something is coming. And you're excited about it and you rejoice and you sing songs and you decorate and you party. This is awesome. That's what the people did. They rejoiced. They're like, my Messiah is coming to get me. Turn up then. And then 700 years later, 700 years later, the prophecy was fulfilled. The word became flesh. And then the people rejoiced, men and women. Now consider this. Now let's go back to the first Christmas. When King Herod heard about the Messiah being born, he ordered the massacre of every male child two years and younger. The death, the death of several children surrounded the birth of Jesus. Let me say that again. The birth, the the the, 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 the massacre of children surrounded the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. That's utter chaos. That's heartache. That's evil, pure darkness. In church, around this Christmas season, we most certainly have to acknowledge that chaotic event during the Christmas season. Why do we have to acknowledge it? The Bible acknowledges it. The Bible acknowledges it. There was even a prophecy that this massacre was going to happen. But still, despite that, y'all, everybody, we're still celebrating. We still decorate our houses and our trees and our ugly sweaters with lights and, 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 and we decorate trees and we have gift giving and we have church services and we have candlelit services. We still have all of this stuff. And do you know why? 
Do you know why? It's because the joy of the child is far greater than the chaos that surrounded the child. Even death, men and women, even death. So with all of that, what does that have to do with you? Everybody, listen closely. It's okay to acknowledge your pain. We're supposed to. Our pain is real. Our pain is present. Our pain is relevant. Pain surrounds us daily. Acknowledge it. Talk about it with others. Let it out. Let it out. You're supposed to. But hear me. Despite your pain, you're still called to rejoice in every single season of your life, rain or shine. And we rejoice when we're full of joy. And we're full of joy when we're focusing on the fact that God is with us. And one day we will be removed from sad pain. Church, one day you won't hurt anymore. You won't struggle anymore. You won't fight anymore. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain, no more death. And not only that, not only do you focus on that and know that, but know that all of the world's hurt, all of the world's pain, all of the world's heartache, all the world's sickness, and even death, it can't destroy you right now. It can't destroy you whatsoever. So twofold, not only is God going to get you to remove you from the pain to be with him forever, but pain and the heartache is not strong enough to crush you right now. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, church. And understanding that truth, knowing that truth, believing in that truth, focusing on that truth gives you everything you need to be full of joy. Church, just focus. Focus on the fact that God is with you. Why do you think my main prayer for all of y'all is to have intimacy with God? Intimacy. The more you know God, the bigger he is in your life. And the bigger he is in your life, the smaller everything else is. It doesn't matter how big the world says it. If God is big in your heart, if you're that intimate with God, you can survive everything. Everything you can survive. And not only can you survive it, you will rejoice in it. That's the kind of strength I want. That's the kind of grind I want. Have you met somebody that was so joyful and they were going through so much chaos and you're like, what's the secret sauce? It's because God is big to them. That's it, church. Colossians 3.2 from the Amplified Version, it says, set your mind and keep focus habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, 
not on the things that are on this earth, which have only temporal value. In church, the main question is how does one become focused? How do you become focused? Quick answer coming straight from the Bible. In John 15, 10, says, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you would abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Check out verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. Why? He gives you the secret sauce, men and the women. That's why it's so important to have your nose in the scripture. If you want joy, it's available to you. How? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Full. This is Jesus saying full joy. Obedience, everybody, is what keeps you focused. Even though it doesn't make sense, obey God. Even though you don't feel like it, obey God. Even though that it's difficult, obey God. God keeps us in the right bounds to receive everything that he has for us. Just obey. How does me forgiving somebody, you know, deal with joy? It <laughs> It's the bounds that God puts you in so you can receive the joy. You ever watch football and, and a good quarterback, he would throw the ball where the receiver is supposed to be. Not where he is currently, but where he, where he is supposed to be. You're supposed to run a post and the guy runs a streak and the quarterback throws it to the post, he's going to get on to the receiver. He's like, you were, you were not where you were supposed to be. If you want to receive that ball full of joy, run the route that God tells you to run. And all the joy you're going to receive, oh, you could deal with anything in all seasons, men and women. So, joy to the world. A Messiah was born and he lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins. Reconcil reconcil reconciling us, like, uh, giving us the ministry of reconciliation between man and God. He did that. And that alone caused us to rejoice so much. But God doubled down on it. He goes, oh, by the way, I'm going to come and get you. So until then, you rejoice and let the world see your joy. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you came for all of us, God. We rejoice in the fact that you're here. It is weird even saying it. Not only I rejoice in the fact that you're here, I rejoice in the fact that you're coming. Super weird to say that sentence, but it's true. Thank you, Maranatha. Maranatha. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all take care. Love y'all. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us, or give, visit nbfhollister.org. Have a great week, and remember, 
We are the church who radically loves, serves, and encourages.